Welcome to the Marketing Tips for Doctors podcast, where you'll discover the secrets to attracting more patients ready to schedule their first appointments to grow your practice without spending hours and hours away from your practice or home. Hear how to boost your online presence, develop a strong rapport with each one to increase patient compliance while adding value and growing revenue. Now here's your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, America's leading medical strategist. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, and today we have with us Douglas E. Noel. Douglas left a successful career as a trial lawyer to become a peacemaker. And of course, we could all use more peacemakers. His calling is to serve humanity, and he executes his calling at many levels. He is an award-winning author, teacher, trainer, and a highly experienced mediator. Doug's work carries him from international work to helping people resolve deep interpersonal and ideological conflicts to training life inmates to be peacemakers and mediators in maximum security prisons. Welcome, Douglas. Hey, Barbara. Great to be here. Tell us about your background and life. You know, why would you leave a successful law practice to do this? Well, the short version is that was groomed by, uh, well, I start, I grew up in Southern California, went back to East to Dartmouth College, majored in English, came back to California, went to law school. Wasn't sure that I really wanted to be a lawyer, but what are you going to do, right? So, so I worked for a judge for a year and then in Central California and then decided that, well, I'll give this law thing a try. And so I joined a firm as a young lawyer and they grew me to be a trial lawyer. And I joined the firm in September of 1978 and tried my first jury trial in November of 78 and went on over the next 22 years to be a big time commercial and financial trial lawyer. Here in the Valley, there's huge poverty. It's one of the poorest congressional districts in the country, but also there's a huge amount of wealth because of agriculture. So there's plenty to, plenty to fight about. And that's what I did. I fought for 22 years. Along the way, I got I studied martial arts eventually and got a secondary black belt. And my teacher fired me. He said, "You're too arrogant. <laughs> you're too full of yourself. You know, you're too dangerous. And don't. I'm not going to teach you anything more until you go out and master Tai Chi, which is interesting because Tai Chi is the oldest of all martial arts. Tai Chi has two paradoxes. The first is the softer you are." the stronger you are. And the second is the more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. Soft to be strong, vulnerable to be powerful. Did not compute. <sighs> Took a long time and a lot of practice, but finally it did click. And I saw the wisdom of, that par- of those paradoxes. And one day I was in a courtroom trying a case and I thought to myself, what the heck am I doing in here? And after that trial, I had a vacation planned, a uh, river trip up in Idaho with a bunch of friends. And I spent the week on my raft, thinking about how many people I'd really served and concluded at the end of the week that I hadn't really served, really truly served that many people and that this trial thing was not gonna work out for me, even though I made tons of money and was very successful. So when I came back to town and driving out of the mountains from my home up in the central Sierra Nevada, I heard a one and only public service announcement for the, a new peacemaking degree in, in uh, a new degree, master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies. <laughs> Caught my attention, checked it out, 
It was at our, uh, our local university, which was the West Coast Mennonite University, Fresno Pacific University. And they had qualms about bringing a lawyer into their program like me. And I had qualms about some of their ideology, but we all said, let's give it a try. And it worked out beautifully. It was a perfect marriage. And so for the next three years, I was a full-time master's degree student, having my head exploded by all these new ideas. And I was teaching law, three-quarter time, three time law professor, and also a full-time trial lawyer. And that's, I started having discussions with my partners about maybe opening a peacemaking practice and quitting litigation. And they said they didn't like that idea at all. So ultimately in November of 2000, I left with a week's worth of notice, left $10 million on the table and opened up my own peacemaking and mediation practice and never looked back. Best decision I ever made in my life. And then, in two, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say in 2005 is when I made my major discovery about the importance of listening to emotions and that completely changed my life. Nothing I'd ever done up till then prepared me for that discovery. And then the science that followed a couple of years later that established why this works so powerfully in the brain. You say that we're 98% emotional and only 2% rational. There are some that would disagree with you and yeah. say there are people that are not rational at all. <laughs> but how do you come uh, to having those statistics? Well, those numbers really come from neuroscientist Antonio Damasio, who is uh, a distinguished neuroscientist and medical doctor at University of Southern California. The, the truth is that emotions guide every part of our lives. We can't, eat, we can't make any decision without emotion. We can't, make, we can't even begin to be rational unless we're emotional first. Because how would we even know to apply rational thinking of any kind, critical thinking, reasoning, logic, whatever it might be? How do we know to apply that to a problem unless we were having an emotional reaction to the environment that told us that there was a problem out there that needed to be solved. We wouldn't even know that there was a problem unless we had an emotional reaction to our environment. And when we're making decisions, most of our decisions are unconscious, of course, but how do, how does the, how do our brains make the decision, yes or no? It's based on an assessment of probability of what's gonna give me more pleasure or what's gonna cause me least amount of pain. That affective experience, that affective decision-making is all emotional. So every single decision we make is emotional. And this whole idea that we're rational and what separates us from other species is rationality is a myth that goes back more than 4,000 years. It's been taught by philosophers and theologians for thousands of years, and it's just plain wrong. There is no science to support that. In fact, all the science says exactly the opposite. And yet it still persists out there. And the reason is that up until very recently, people looked at emotions as being at best troublesome and at worst chaotic and dangerous. And so we've been taught throughout our lives for generations and generations that our emotions are bad, they're evil, they're weak, they're irrational, and we should really not, we should not be emotional people. And this is what this is what's taught in families for generation after generation after generation. When I, you know, when you're a two-year-old and you're out running around and you fall over and you scrape your knee, what are you told? Don't be a sissy. Don't cry. Rub dirt in it. Tough, toughen up, buttercup. You know, you're told don't feel. And you're fed that all through childhood and into adulthood. And then when it's time to have an intimate relationship and you can't feel your emotions because you've been told that emotions are bad, what happens? Train wreck after train wreck after train wreck. And it's carried on into the next generation. 
And there's just study after study that just shows that this kind of stuff is incredibly abusive. ACEs study in particular, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study out of San Diego, which you may be familiar with, just shows that this kind of emotional abuse leads to morbid outcomes later in life, cancer, chronic uh, obstructive pulmonary disease, diabetes, um, just one bad, horrible disease after another, all goes back to emotional abuse in childhood. And there's, just, there's irrefutable evidence around that from the Kaiser Foundation. It's an amazing study. So yeah, it's a big deal. There's so much anger out there nowadays between the vaxxers versus the anti-vaxxers and before that Biden versus Trump. And there just every person's idea seems to be the best idea and everybody else doesn't hold water. Nobody really has, you know, debates now. It's like, it's my idea or you're just stupid. So, uh, you know, how do you diffuse that anger? Can you really uh, deescalate an angry person in 90 seconds or less? Yes, you can. It's because it's the way our brains are hardwired. So if we talk about political polarization, which is the broad description of the example you're giving, really the reason we're so polarized is because nobody's listening to anybody else. All of that polarization that we hear is all about people wanting to feel validated, wanting to be heard at a very deep emotional level, and they're not. And so what do they do? They yell louder and they're frightened. There are many people who are frightened and scared. And so they act out, they they act out with anger or in limited cases, violence. It's all based on a deep need to be heard. And that listening does not occur in our everyday life because we have not been trained how to listen other people into existence. So the trick is this, here's the three part steps. Now, I'm gonna, it's very simple to describe, but it does take some practice to master it. <laughs> the first step is ignore the angry words. When you ignore the angry words, two things happen to you. First, you don't get triggered yourself. And second, you free a bandwidth in your brain to do the next two steps. So there's no reason to listen to the words. There's no news here. We've heard these angry words before. We can just ignore them, safely ignore them. Don't ignore the person, just ignore the words. Then the second step is to read the emotions of the person across from you. And oftentimes it's gonna be anger, but underneath that anger, there are gonna be six or seven other emotions that you can ferret out. And the beauty of it is that your brain knows how to do this. All you have to do is let it do its thing. The reason that we don't normally listen to emotions is because we've been, like I said, we've been lied to for 4,000 years that emotions are bad. So we just ignore this innate capacity that we have to read emotions. And this capacity has been with humans and hominids for millions of years. Most people don't know that we have only had language as human beings for 230,000 years, just an eye blink. And for millions of years before that, hominids communicated, they had clans and families, and they were able to communicate non-verbally and became very adept at reading each other's emotions. And that evolved in our brains as a very highly adaptive skill to have. But once we started getting language, then people started focusing on words and we sort of ignored emotions. And we didn't lose this innate ability we have, but we just haven't used it. So you can read anybody's emotions. All you have to do is relax, be silent, 
and how they're feeling will pop into your head and you'll have it almost immediately and you'll almost always be right. Our brains are that good at it. Then the third step, and this is the secret sauce, is to reflect back the emotions with a simple use statement. So I would say something like, Barbara, you're really upset. You're really pissed off and really angry. You feel completely disrespected and unappreciated and unsupported. And it's making you feel a little anxious and you're sad and you feel abandoned and you're frustrated and you're confused because you know what to do and you even feel a little betrayed. And all of this is really upsetting and making you super angry. And that's all you have to do. It's that simple, simple little use statements. Don't use I statements. That's old, wrong psychology from Thomas Gordon and Marshall Rosenberg and all the 60 psychologists that didn't know what they were talking about. And um, you use a direct use statement and then you look for th four things to happen. One, a nodding of the head. A two, yeah, exactly. Some verbal response. You look for a dropping of the shoulders, relaxation response, and you'll see a sigh or a, a like that. All of these are involuntary and they're telling you that you've gotten into their brains and you've hit the relaxation responses. And what the, what the science shows is that when we feed back emotions to an angry or upset person, we're basically rebooting their prefrontal cortex. This is sort of a shorthand way of talking about a fairly complex subject, but we're lending our prefrontal cortex to this angry person for the 30 to 45 seconds it takes for that other person's prefrontal cortex to come back online. And what the science shows is that there's an inverse relationship between the activation of the prefrontal cortex and the inhibition of the emotional centers of the brain. As one activates, the other inhibits. And so the emotional centers can activate and that will inhibit the prefrontal cortex. So we can no longer think when we're upset. And we can, if we can reactivate the prefrontal cortex, which is very hard to do by yourself, you can do it by the way, but it's hard to do unless you have training. Then as the prefrontal cortex activates, the emotional centers inhibit and people can think again and now they can get control of themselves. And this is all through a process known as affect labeling. In the scientific circles, it's known as implicit emotional self-regulation. There are about 20, 20 studies out there now that verify and show how this all works. Very, very powerful. And from a practical perspective, it's how you can calm down any angry person. Two-year-olds all the way up to 40-year-olds are acting like two-year-olds, or 90-year-olds who are acting like two-year-olds. You can calm them down literally in 45 seconds. So if we bring it around to your work, where you're working with, let's say, medical practices, and you've got, let's say, just say you've got a nurse who's dealing with a really upset, angry patient. Well, of course, patients are going to be upset and angry. They're not feeling well. They're in pain. They're in discomfort. They're confused. They're scared. Why not take 45 seconds before you do anything else and listen to that patient and de-escalate them? You're really angry. You're really scared. You're frightened. You're confused. You don't understand what's going on. You're in a lot of pain. It hurts. You don't feel like anybody's supporting you or listening to you. And this is really frustrating and upsetting to you. How long did that take? 10 seconds, 15 seconds? That patient calms down. Now you can start thinking about problem solving. Okay, so tell me what's going on. As opposed to getting that clinical, lawyers have the same problems, so I'm not picking on doctors, <laughs> getting that clinical, detached, non-emotional, non-validating stance that we're all taught in professional school and trying to be the smart 
non-attached, non non-completely uh, detached, non-emotional person, which is the worst thing you can do. Worst thing you can do. Now, just because I validate your emotions doesn't mean that I agree with you. And it doesn't mean that I'm taking your emotions on as my own. What I'm doing is a very scientific, proven process for helping your brain calm down so that you can receive appropriate information and help me do my job, which is to help you solve a problem. But you can't do that unless you de-escalate first. And that's how you do it. Do you get people that say, listen, you know, like, don't placate me? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So here's what's going on. It doesn't happen very often if you're good. I mean, you'll, you'll get that one if you're kind of kludgy and you haven't practiced it enough. The other time you'll get it is when, because this is what happens when you do this kind of listening, you create instant intimacy. And people, we all have these walls, right? So here's, this is the part of me that I don't want you to see because it's the ugly, shameful, horrible little me that I've been told all my life is awful and will never amount to anything because my parents emotionally abused me for many, many years. And then here's my professional persona out here that I want to show everybody else. That's the way most people are. When you affect label them, listen to their emotions, you drive right through this wall and you go all the way back to here past this wall and you create instant intimacy and it scares the heck out of people because all of a sudden you see them for who they really are and they are scared to death and shamed to death of being seen for who they really are. That's what they think. And so they'll, our defenses will immediately come back and they'll push like that and say, don't placate me. Who do you think you are? My psychotherapist? Something like that. Happen. It happens. You just know you over succeeded. You were too successful. <laughs> you were too direct. So the trick then is to back off, let it drop for about 10 or 15 minutes and then come back and just try again, but make it a throwaway. Come on, oh, man, you were really pissed off. And, and just make it a very fast throwaway statement with no, with no big deal behind it. And then see what happens. Watch what happens. And that's how you deal with it. Why isn't emotional competency taught to us? Pardon me now? Why aren't we emotionally competent? Why isn't it taught to us? Yeah, it's you know, not since it doesn't come natural to most people. To us, first of all, it there, that's it's a it's an interesting question. The our society thinks it's it's up to our families to develop emotional competency in children, but the problem is that ninety six percent of all families are emotionally dysfunctional. They do not have the capacity to teach emotional com competency. This goes all the way back to the work of Virginia Satir, a family system, she developed fam family systems theory. She was a psychologist and family therapist back in the 70s and the 80s. And she said 96% of all families are emotionally dysfunctional. How can you expect a family to develop emotional competency in their children when the parents themselves are emotionally incompetent? It can't happen. So then you get into the school system and, the, and our formal educational system is all based on this rational bias that I talked about, where everything's rational and you're told not to be emotional because emotions get in the way of learning. Well, that's wrong because the only way you can learn is through emotions. Emotions and memory are closely associated with each other. But our educational system <coughs> trains the part of our brain called the task-focused system, which is all about learning algorithms and formulas and knowledge acquisition, all that stuff. What our educational system does not do is train our social or what's known as our default, our default system, excuse me, our default system, which is our social system, empathy, learning how to listen, learning how to listen to ourselves, learning how to um, 
de-escalate people, learning how to work with and recognize and understand our childhood triggers, learning how to be emotionally self-aware and emotionally self-regulate. These are all part of what's known as the social system or the task-focused system of the brain that need to be trained. And they aren't because of this bias against rationality, which just leads to huge amounts of abuse. And people never, you know, they just don't develop these skills. Well, in addition to the people at the front desk trying to diffuse the anger of patients, um, learning how to control anger also really, you know, contributes to a much smoother and happier workplace uh, among staff members if they can figure out how to diffuse their anger before dealing with their you know, colleagues and coworkers in a, in a small confined space. Do you have a course where you guide people on how to get rid of the anger and be happier people? I do. I've got an online course called Developing Emotional Competency. And I think uh, I've got a link. I've created a web page for it. Did I send that to you? No. Let me get it really quick. Uh, give me one moment. Um, so listeners, I'm going to put that link in the show notes so that yeah. you can look into that. But, you know, please, yeah, the, please the do. Link is, the link is this. It is, I just created it yesterday. So I well, you could just send, you could just send it. it. No. Dot goal dot co medical strategist. Okay, dot maybe no- you could send that along. I will. I uh, and and uh, and so if you go to Doug Noll and D O U G N O L L dot co forward slash medical strategist, the name of the podcast, then on that on that page, which I created just for everybody who's listening today, three resources: one, a free ebook that goes into much more detail about everything that I've talked about; two, if you want to buy my book, Deescalate, you can do that. Roughly. off Amazon. Just go through my site. And three, if you're really interested in learning these skills and want to invest some time and effort and some money, you can can join up for my online course called Developing Emotional Competency, which will teach you all of these skills that I've been talking about. Well, since you've become so skilled at listening to others, I'm sure your wife is very happy and uh, family members. I would say that this is my second, so both of our second marriages. I have never been happier before in my life. Never been as happy as I am right now. And, this and, marriage, and she the same. Yeah, and she the same. We have an amazing marriage. I never thought marriage could be like this. I, 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 it would, beyond my wildest expectation that we could be this way. We, we do not argue. We do not fight. We do not suppress. We do not engage in any of the common couples problems that people experience. We have none of that. All we have is love and respect. And every day, every morning, how do you feel? What's going on? And then I'll say, like today, I said, oh, I'm a little anxious. I got to get on the tractor and do some work. And I live in the mountains. I have to do some sculpting, land sculpting, and I'm still new at it. And she said, oh, so you're really anxious and a little scares you a little bit. I said, yeah, this is all new to me. She said, oh, so you're concerned and anxious and a little nervous about how this is going to work out. I said, I am. We so- do that Yeah. So an improvement in interpersonal relationships is not just professional, but in every aspect of our lives. Foundational. This is a foundational skill of life. So where can people people go to learn more about your work? So my basic website is dougnoll.com, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L.com. Or if you want to just check out what I've created for your audience, 
Um, it's dougnoll.co, not com, co, dougnoll.co slash medical strategist. And they'll find resources there. And once you jump on that page, you'll see the menu and you can jump around. I have a very extensive website with lots of articles, um, YouTube channel, everything that describes all of this stuff in great detail. And you can go as deep as you want to go, as fast as you want to go. Before you leave our listeners today, is there one tip that you could give us now before delving into your book and course that will make us better individuals? So I've talked about how to ignore the words, listen to the emotions and reflect the emotions. Try it on yourself. The next time you feel anything other than perfectly happy or content or satisfied, say to yourself, I'm really frustrated. I'm a little pissed off. I'm a little angry. I don't feel respected right now. I just felt ignored. I feel unappreciated, unsupported. And that makes me feel a little sad because I feel a little abandoned. Just label the emotional experience you're having in the moment and then monitor what happens inside and outside yourself. And you will notice dramatic changes in your in how you feel inside and how you respond outside it's based on, I can, we don't have time to go into the science, but it's there, it involves a polyvagal system and a concept known as interoception and it's, but it's quite powerful. So just try that and see what happens. And then people can always email me at Doug at Dougnull.com and tell me what their experience is. I always reply to my emails. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It was really very educational and informative. And you're going to get a whole bunch of listeners uh, glued to the mirror today, practicing that uh, exercise. Excellent. Thank you, Barbara. This has been another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors with your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing Tips for Doctors. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Press the subscribe button so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about the show. Join us on marketingtipsfordoctors.com for replays and more resources to help grow your practice, strengthen your brand, and dominate your field. Remember, you are one tweet from greatness. Greatness.